Mother Christmas fills Christmas tins with gingerbread, fudge cake, shortbread and flapjacks. Bowls teeter with oranges and apples, kumquats and lychees. Christmas crockery and table linens are washed and piled ready. Great armfuls of greenery stay fresh in buckets by the back door. Each morning, the post brings a thrill of new cards to be opened. The elves are in a race against time with the birds, harvesting boughs laden with berries to be transformed into wreaths and garlands. Menus are planned and food orders are placed. Nothing is left to chance. Welcome to Episode 6 of the Calm Christmas Podcast, Season 3. I am your host, Beth Kempton, and those lovely words were from Oriel Bishop's wonderful book, Christmas is Coming. This episode is called Mistletoe and Wine, and it's all about festive feasting. I'm so excited. I just love food, especially Christmas food. I would like to take this opportunity to thank you for giving me reason to research this episode surrounded by cookbooks with a mince pie and the first mulled wine of the year. What a delight that was. And yes, I do have a little bit of a cookbook addiction. Some people buy shoes, I buy cookbooks. What can I say? I mean, listen to this from Diana Henry in Roast Figs, Sugar Snow, which is not strictly a Christmas cookbook, but it's full of wintry delights. And what a gorgeous title for a cookbook. Roast Figs, Sugar Snow. Winter on your tongue, herbs, spices and sour cream. It was snowing so badly on our journey from Copenhagen Airport that news reports threatened road closures. Skaters were wheeling around the outdoor ski rink in the central square and a little kiosk was doing a roaring trade selling glug, the Scandinavian mulled wine rich with almonds and raisins. Given the weather and the late hour, we decided to see what room service in the hotel could rustle up. Half an hour later, they brought a tray laden with hot slices of pork belly on caraway-scented rye bread, Spiced pickled prunes, cucumber, warm potatoes in sour cream and dill, and glasses of cold golden beer. Flavours of winter in a northern climate. I just love Diana's writing. And when I was getting all my books together, I pulled down a faded edition of Delia Smith's Christmas from 1991. It fell open at the traditional baked and glazed whole ham recipe, which my mum used to make every year and out fell a newspaper cutting about pickled onions and some notes in my grandmother's handwriting, scribblings of weights conversions between pounds and ounces and grams. Such is the joy of Christmas cookbooks that we get out once a year and then put back on the shelf until next time, always hoping that there will be a next time. I do love my Christmas cookbooks by chefs close to home, just because they're so nostalgic for me, and the pictures are always amazing. And even the more modern ones, like the Women's Institute Complete Christmas with its recipe for mincemeat and marzipan ice cream, Mm -mm. and the Irish equivalent, the Irish Country Women's Association Book of Christmas, with its brilliant in-between-the-big-meals recipes for things like bacon, cheese and pear toasties. Yum. But I do have a few other treasured ones from around the world. In fact, I'm thinking that perhaps this year I'll make it my mission to gather Christmas cookbooks from far and wide and do a whole episode next year on those books. What do you think? I might just start a question thread on my Instagram feed asking for recommendations. So if you have a favourite cookbook from wherever you are in the world, please do share a link. Ideally in English, that's going to help me. Um, And we'll see what we come up with for next year. Anyway, one of my favourite cookbooks from overseas is actually a pair of books, New York Christmas and the follow-up New York Christmas Baking from Lisa Nieschlag and Lars Wintrop. 
They feature recipes for delicious sounding things like ginger snaps with white chocolate. Dreamy photographs of New York in the snow straight out of Home Alone and lovely stories of winter in America. I really recommend those two as gorgeous presents. They're just so delightful to look at. And the recipes, for me, as someone from England, just feel so New York. Um, Even though I've never spent Christmas in New York yet. Even though the American publisher of my book, Calm Christmas, is based in the Rockefeller Center building um, next to that iconic ice rink with the huge Christmas tree in it. Um, I've still not yet made it to New York for Christmas. Maybe next year. Now, that's why I call podcast research. Who knows? That might be something we could look into one day. Anyway, um, for a while, all the years that we're not in New York for Christmas, um, those two books are a wonderful substitute. And perhaps those of you who are listening from New York could tell us about your experience of it. For so many of us, Christmas is all about the food. It's a time of year when we might buy the slightly fancier versions of our favourite things, plan more elaborate meals than usual, make the table look really beautiful and invite those that we love to join us for a feast. And of course, those things can bring great joy, but they can also bring considerable stress. It often comes from a place of love. We just want everyone to have the most wonderful time. Perhaps there are more people in one room than comfortably fit, Perhaps we feel the strain of the cost or the huge amount of work involved or all the things that we have to remember to put in the oven and put on the hob and take out of the oven before they burn and all of those things. Perhaps someone always gets a bit too drunk and makes things awkward or difficult. Perhaps things just don't feel the same if there's an empty chair at the table this year. When you think about all this, it's no wonder that festive feasting can spark all kinds of emotions If you're going to be missing someone at your Christmas table this year, please do tune in next week for a special episode all about pausing, honouring and remembering those we love and miss. For today, I'm going to focus on taking the stress out of preparations and hosting and making your mouth water with lots of talk about the food itself. I'm sharing snippets of all kinds of wonderful books related to festive food today. Make sure you've got your notebook, take some notes. You might find a cookbook that you'd like to invest in this year. To me, simply reading out festive menus and curling up with a cookery book full of wonderful food writing are two very valid and enjoyable ways to spend a wet, rainy, wintry hour. Maybe that's just me, but I doubt it somehow. Perhaps you'll try something new this year or try a new way to cook something traditional. This week's Wellbeing Corner is all about reducing the stress of Christmas cooking and being mindful of costs. From casual drinks and intimate meals to boisterous buffets and extravagant banquets, the main Christmas event is different in every home. Some people love to host, others long for invitations. Some people spend Christmas Day alone, some with friends, many with family. Whatever your take on Christmas, how much joy is served up with the food depends on whether or not you ask yourself these two questions. Firstly, What would I, or we, being your household unit, actually like most this year, bearing in mind the year we've had? And then secondly, is there anyone that we want or need to give special attention to this year, bearing in mind the year that they have had? I do think that some years it's worth building all your plans around someone special, depending on what kind of a year they've had. Maybe they've had a really difficult time and you want to make it extra special, 
Or maybe in some cases you know that it might be your last Christmas together, which is so hard to imagine and so hard to face up to. But having been in that position this year, I'm so glad of all the special Christmassy things that we did with my mum last year, even though we didn't know of her coming illness. But we can't do that every single Christmas without exhausting ourselves. So I think it's a real balance between what we want to need and what we know would be a real gift for someone else or would create really special memories that we are going to treasure in the future. So it's a lot of things for us to think about. And of course, every Christmas can be different. We can have core traditions that we maintain in our own families or friendship groups, but we can mix up the way we celebrate in terms of the type of gathering based on the kind of year we've had and what we really want and need from our festive feasting this year. None of this is rocket science, of course, but Christmas is not a logical time of year for many of us. It's so strange how so many of us choose to spend one of the most precious times of the year, a time where we physically need rest and relaxation with people who rub us the wrong way sometimes. Or we spend money that we don't have on presents that people don't really need. Or we eat and drink all kinds of things that we know are going to make us feel rough later. It's just one of those strange quirks of being a human in a culture that celebrates Christmas, right? We've all done something like that, I'm sure, at some point. But also, we're grown-ups with agency. So we don't have to just do Christmas the same as we've always done it because that's the way we've always done it. We can ask different questions. Um, we can take some time to think about these things. Um, maybe adding some more marshmallows and a candy cane to that hot chocolate while we have a good think about it. <laughs> Just a few weeks ago, I mean, I overheard some people in a cafe talking about Christmas and they were absolutely dreading it because it was all based on the assumption that they had to do what they always do. They had to spend what they always spend on all the things to put on the table and they had to share it with the people that they always share it with. But while I was sitting there listening, this one question just bubbled up in my head and I couldn't get it out of my mind. And that was, who says? Who says that we have to do these things this way? Who says that we should feel obliged to meet with certain people or do Christmas in a certain way or spend a certain amount of money on presents for certain people? We might come to that conclusion ourselves after thinking about it but in the beginning it's up to us um it's it's so difficult we often feel guilty and um pulled in many different directions at this time of year when we know that our presence for other people might make a difference um and in some cases it's a really lovely thing to do to say you know what this christmas is all about that person but sometimes you just need to make it about you and your household unit. So let's see um, what thinking about those things does for you and your festive feast plans this year. You know, once you start asking other people what they would actually like to do in terms of food and gathering and things this year, rather than what they think they should do, it leads to all sorts of very interesting conversations and it becomes easier to share your own true feelings about the holidays. I know this from experience from when my children were very, very young. Um, we hosted my own family, who are lovely, um, but it wasn't the most lovely experience. As I've shared here on this podcast before, 
it was a few years ago, we'd recently moved into a new house and we had several relatives over for Christmas dinner on Christmas Day. And instead of asking for help, we took it all on ourselves. Mr. K spent most of the day in the kitchen while I nursed the baby. She was just a baby back then um, and tried to entertain everyone else. And as the last of our guests left, Mr. K and I realised that we'd hardly seen each other all day, aside from lots of brief discussions about logistics. And as we flopped onto the sofa and stared at the moon through the conservatory window with plates of leftovers in hand, feeling absolutely knackered, we vowed that we would never do Christmas the same way again. I'll never forget that he just turned to me and said, I don't even like turkey. And so I turned back and said, are you serious? Neither do I. And we have never eaten turkey at Christmas ever since, but we'd never had a conversation about it. Um, So we discussed every detail of the day and realised two essential truths. Firstly, we should have asked for some help from our guests. And secondly, we should have arranged the day differently. So we got outside for some fresh air um, or perhaps made a less complicated menu so that Mr K wasn't stuck in the kitchen all day long. In the weeks that followed, we had a few tricky conversations with our guests but actually that was quite refreshing in the end Um, and it's a lot easier to do that in January than it is when Christmas is approaching the following year Um, but it's better to have the conversation now than it is to not have the conversation at all. Um, Anyway we made lots of plans for doing things differently after that including the somewhat radical decision to ditch the traditional lunch and have a flavours of Christmas but not turkey pie instead And so we began a new tradition of cooking the filling for a huge pie on Christmas Eve. Um, And then that left us plenty of time to go for a long walk on Christmas morning. And when we returned home, we popped the pie in the oven and it was ready to serve in less than an hour. Now these days, our girls are older and we live by the sea now. So we do things a little bit differently. The rule is that everyone can eat whatever they want, whenever they like on Christmas Day. So if you want chocolate for breakfast, you can have that have chocolate for breakfast that rule was really important for me (laughs) I love chocolate for breakfast um but I mostly only do it on Christmas day and Sundays anyway um we tend to open a few presents have breakfast and then open a few more presents and then go to the beach last Christmas day I went swimming in the sea which was just amazing lots of people were in swimming costumes and they ran in screamed and ran out again I had my wetsuit on and some people might look at me and say, oh, you're cheating. But I say, do whatever makes you comfortable. And I think my wetsuit is nice and sensible because actually it meant I could stay in longer and have a proper swim. I felt so alive out there in the waves while Mr. K and the girls played on the beach. Then I got out, got dry and we sat looking at the sea eating homemade sausage rolls, which I'm going to give you the recipe for later. It's so easy and mugs of hot chocolate. Yes, we actually brought it in a flask with a bag of marshmallows and a tin of squirty cream, and it was so good, served up in these little red mugs with white snowflakes on. What a perfect Christmas morning that was. I don't like using the word perfect in terms of planning, trying to make something perfect, but on reflection, it was just the perfect Christmas morning for me that year. And then we came back home and started cooking, and these days we tend to have a roast dinner, actually, really fancy, um, roast chicken dinner that's our Christmas dinner it's like a Sunday lunch but even better and it's really not stress at all we make sure we buy the cauliflower cheese so there's no chance of cheese sauce going wrong Um, and we've been having fun perfecting our roast potatoes this past year no one in our house likes sprouts but they're just so Christmassy so later in the show you're going to hear about my search for new sprout recipes 
And this year, my dad is joining us for Christmas. And we're going to see our extended family before and after the big day and spread that out with days of quiet time at home and a few Christmassy activities planned in between. That feels good for us this year. And it seems to work for everyone else that we're going to be gathering with. Um, I wonder what kind of plans you're going to make. I mean, I'm sharing those kind of details really to say that you are allowed to choose. You know, uh, one thing I learned from listeners of this podcast last year was the sheer number of you who had been dreading Christmas in the pandemic and then secretly absolutely loved not traveling long distances on Christmas Eve, having quieter feasts at home and then struggled after the pandemic excuse was gone um, to keep that up. But I wonder how many of you will try that again this year. Of course, when lots of people and opinions are involved, it's tricky to find a solution that everyone is happy with. There might be compromises or sacrifices made to accommodate a specific situation. But generally, if you have actually had a conversation about what you will want to do, rather than launching straight into, right, who's hosting everyone this year? It really does make a world of difference. Also, I wanted to say that in the midst of all the festive feasting, of course, if we eat too much cheese and cake and Christmas pudding and all those things, we can feel incredibly sluggish come January. So we do try to balance it out with healthier food, lots of soups and lovely stews and things like that. And also we try to keep our routines as far as possible. We go for regular walks, whatever the weather. And Mr. K, who's a Pilates instructor, still gets up early to do Pilates in the back room every day. And I still get up early to write while the darkness hovers and the steam from my hot tea floats up through the candlelight. I do that nearly every day. In fact, Christmas Day itself is probably the only exception. Um, but that's just what works for us. I wonder which of your routines might sustain you through all the festivities this year. I just wanted to share some stress-free festive food preparation tips which are taken from my book Calm Christmas which has a whole chapter on Christmas food so perhaps you might want to take a look at that. But here are the tips. Firstly, map out every event that you plan to cater either alone or with other people and then decide on a menu for each one remembering to include breakfast, lunch and snacks if guests will be staying for several days so not just thinking about dinner. And now's a good time to ask your guests about any special dietary requirements. And if it makes you feel anxious thinking about it, maybe find some ways to simplify your plans or rope in some moral support. Number two, thinking about the cooking utensils and serveware that you'll need for your guests is a really good thing to do in advance so that you don't freak out when you don't have enough forks or enough pans to cook everything. If you can, you can borrow it or maybe still find an early Christmas sale um, and see. make sure you've got everything that you need. I'm going to do that whole section again, sorry. It's just because this was written for earlier than this is going out. I'm trying to redo it. Yeah. And number two, think about the cooking utensils and serveware that you're going to need to cater for your guests so you don't suddenly realise on the day that you haven't got enough forks you can always ask your guests to bring certain things with them. Thirdly, if you find cooking everything a bit too stressful, why not ask yourself the following questions? Which specific item or meal do you most associate with Christmas? Can you make it yourself with love or buy the very best version of it? 
if that seems feasible, then maybe let go of the more peripheral fare that actually no one's really bothered about. That will save you time, energy and money. Also, will your guests help? If you ask them to bring something, make sure you specify what you need so you don't end up with five of one thing. Um, And also, sometimes that really helps a guest. We want to take something when we're being hosted. And if we're told exactly what the host wants, that can be really helpful. And can you make anything ahead of time and freeze or store it? So schedule time in your diary to do that. Perhaps set aside a whole Sunday for cooking main meals or a couple of evenings for baking and preserving. And a lot of the cookbooks I'm going to be talking about later in this episode have brilliant um, planning sections to help you figure out what you need to do when. Also, could some of your homemade food make good gifts? You might want to think about that in advance and make a bigger batch than usual. So if someone comes and has something at your house, you can then give them a version of it you know, in a lovely box to take home with them um, to eat after Christmas so they don't have to bother cooking on Boxing Day. What a lovely thing that would be. Number four, write a complete list of the ingredients that you need. Check your cupboards to see what you already have and then do your shopping. When compiling your list, remember to include ingredients for healthy breakfasts like frozen fruit for smoothies um, to give everyone a good start to the day. You can also um, take a look at episode one of this season for my banana bread recipe, which makes a really nice breakfast, especially if you have guests. And then number five, to avoid the supermarket crowds, either book an online delivery, although a lot of those slots will probably have gone now, um, but even better, shop locally. If possible, talk to the traders. Buying direct from growers, bakers or independent shopkeepers makes it so much more special when you come to eat their produce. I always have this image of myself taking basket and going around a farmer's market to buy everything for my Christmas dinner. It often works out um, that I do that for some of it and then it's a mix of that and sometimes things I've grown myself and sometimes things from the supermarket. Um, But, you know, make your Christmas shopping into an event in terms of being a lovely morning out. Get yourself a coffee and go and chat to farmers as you buy vegetables from them such a lovely thing to do rather than just have the stress of supermarket shopping number six if you buy too much consider donating some of it to the local food bank i think that's going to be more important than ever this year Um, number seven if money is scarce encourage your guests to contribute something you know bring wine or a dessert or maybe organize a christmas dinner kitty and then whoever is hosting gets to use that for christmas And of course, plant-based dishes tend to be cheaper than meat or fish dishes to make. So even if you do a roast, maybe be extra generous with vegetables to fill up plates. It will still feel like a special feast if you take extra care with the table settings and the lighting and you'll be radiating festive spirit. Number eight, make a simple week-by-week plan for December and maybe a day-by-day plan for the week before Christmas. You can include things like table decorations that you want to make in advance. Um, And if your schedule seems overwhelming, then you can just simply change the plan. I mean, you can make any meal a little bit more simple, perhaps in advance, reduce the number of guests that you want to invite to your main gathering and do something like a winter picnic on a different day. 
You can make it more casual. You can invite people to stay for fewer days or not to stay at all. Um, simplify your menu. Plan to eat out for one of the meals. All sorts of things that you can do. But if you try and make that plan now, you're going to be able to see that certain days are going to be a real pinch in terms of the amount of stuff that you have to do. And perhaps you want to take something off your plate at this point so that when it comes to it, you can be a lot more relaxed. And then number nine, batch cook and freeze casual, nutritious meals like warming stews and chili, those kinds of things for eating between Christmas and New Year. Number 10, when you're cooking, put on your favourite apron and some festive music, rape in some help if possible, and just try to enjoy it. You know, you're doing this because you love these people and you want them to have a lovely time and I'm sure they would want you to enjoy preparing the food for them. You might want to make a simple timeline for any big gathering counting backwards from when you want to serve up and set alarms on your phone for when each component needs to come out of the oven and if you plan it correctly it can actually be a mindful experience as you melt into the smells the sights the textures sounds and of course the tastes of your bubbling dishes the number 11 consider setting up some festive party stations if you've got lots of people coming around so guests can help themselves to drinks and snacks before the main events you're not busy serving at the same time as trying to cook and then maybe serve up the meal itself in large bowls or on platters or straight from the oven so people can help you plate up and then lastly just try to relax remember your guests are all grateful for the effort that you're making and they're there because they want to spend time with you Let's talk a little bit about laying the table for Christmas dinner or for any other special gatherings at this time of year. There is, of course, these days, all the visual inspiration you will ever need online, particularly on Instagram and on Pinterest. And there are some amazing tutorials for free on YouTube if you want to go all out with your table decorations this year. So have a look if that's your thing. But I know that it can also be intimidating and overwhelming um, to look at all those things and think, oh my goodness, I can't do that. Or how on earth am I ever going to find the time to make my table look that beautiful? And if that's the case for you, then here are a few simple tips for making it beautiful without being too much stress. And I'm really thinking about four things here. Colour, nature, light and care. In terms of colour, to keep it simple, you might want to choose a colour scheme. Um, white, silver, green, gold, red, navy blue, even pink. Um, Christmas means many colours these days. Maroon, of course. How could I forget maroon? I like to choose just one or two to guide my plan. And a couple of years back, I actually bought a gorgeous forest green velvet tablecloth in the sales after Christmas. And I'm feeling that that might be making an outing this year. Some years I make a point of mismatched plates. I have all sorts of individual plates, mostly bought from ceramicists in Japan. Um, and I like to give each person the one that I think that they will like the best. But this year I'm thinking all long white plates. I've got a strong pull towards the traditional this year, which is curious, I think. And I think they might be nice with my forest green velvet tablecloth. Anyway, pick a colour or two and see where it takes you. And then nature. You know, the older I get, the more I love to see nature on the table. This can be a garland or maybe a candle holder in the shape of a wreath. Could be scattered leaves or other gifts from nature like pine cones on the table. Or perhaps napkins wrapped with twine and a sprig of something from the garden tucked into each one. 
If you want to go all out, have a listen back to episode four of this season of the podcast. I shared about Lucy Hunter's amazing sculptural dried flower cloud that she had hanging above the Christmas dining table. Um, it was just such a wonderful idea. A little bit more than I will probably manage this year, um, but the inspiration is just lovely. And then light, of course, light, candlelight, firelight, fairy lights, lanterns, low light in the room, real candles, whether they're tea lights or church candles or long, slim, elegant ones in candlesticks, they're all stunning and they bring that kind of magical feel to a room. But I think the fake flickering ones are also so realistic these days and they're just brilliant if you're worried about the fire risk with little ones firing party poppers over the table or long sleeves reaching for the sprouts and so on. Personally, I like to wrap fairy lights around whatever greenery I have draped along the table and I keep it super simple um, and it's always lovely. And then care. There are so many simple ways to make the table special and personal. I'm sure you've got loads of ideas of your own. Um, handwritten place names. That's my children's favourite job in terms of helping get the table ready. Um, tiny gifts waiting on plates. Perhaps if you have visitors, a flat decoration that they can hang on the tree, you could leave that on their plate. If you're making your own Christmas crackers, of course, you can put jokes in them, which is traditional. But what if you wrote a note about why each person at the table is amazing and or what you're grateful to them for this year? And then whoever won the cracker pool would have to read that out. That could be lovely. Or you could write a little note of gratitude and tuck it under each plate so that when the plates get taken away for dessert, they see it. I'd love to hear about how you make your feasting table special. Do come and share on Instagram. You can find me at Beth Kempton. Ultimately, it's about how people feel and not how perfect everything is. And I think it's just so important to remember that. Maybe you could write yourself a little reminder of that this year and pop it under your own dinner plate to open and read halfway through dinner. So even if you forgot the carrots or whatever, you can just look around and see the faces of your gathered loved ones and feel grateful for such a festive feast. Now it's time to talk about Christmas traditions. Lots of schools break up for the holidays this week. It's quite early compared to usual. And perhaps this is a nice time to think about how you might mark the transition between term and the holidays if you have children in your life. Otherwise, perhaps the transition between work and the holidays. Um, just noticing that there is a point at which the normal everyday stops and the holidays begin, however close to Christmas that is for you this year. In my world, we tend to do carols around the Christmas tree at the end of the school term and then go for hot chocolate by the sea. Uh, it's something we've been doing for a few years now and it's simple but just so lovely and fast becoming one of my favourite holiday traditions. Let's hear from some of you. We've got lots of food-related memories shared today from you lovely listeners. Thank you for sharing these with me on Instagram. Um, first up, at Brenna Rosa. I'm from Canada and one of my favourite traditions that I do is bake a wide variety of Christmas cookies and package them up in Christmas tins and mail them to family around the country. My husband and I live away from our family, so getting together during the holidays is not always possible. And some members of our family have health issues that make baking very challenging. I always make sure to use several traditional recipes. My mum's butter tarts are a must. 
so that everyone gets their favourite treat plus a new recipe every year for variety. What a lovely idea. And then at bahita.wells on Instagram, this is Brenda, says, I discovered a rather nice tradition while reading a novel set in France. It involved the creation at Christmas of a bay leaf wreath. It act as an aromatic decoration in the kitchen and then left in place are ready to be used as a source of flavouring during the new year. Well, that is a lovely idea. At The New Dairy on Instagram says, I live in the UK and ever since I was little, I'm now in my 40s, uh, we have ditched the turkey and the trimmings because none of us really liked it and we get a takeaway. Always a curry and we have to collect it from our favourite restaurant on Christmas Eve. But there's no prep or slaving away in the kitchen on Christmas morning so we can all just be together opening gifts. My husband has always thought it's a bit common, but we love it. Oh, and we always wear matching Christmas pyjamas for the whole day, even when there are 16 of us. Wow, there's a photo opportunity. Love it. And then Faye from Germany, at Feris on Instagram. We always went to the Alps on the last day of school for winter time in the mountains and spent Christmas there. No fancy tree or dinner, just a little family of ours enjoying time together in the snowy mountains. At Oswald Perez 85 says, there's a recent tradition that's happened every other year or so to visit my friend and former co-worker Jen on Christmas Day for dinner. I'd bring a bottle of wine to augment her food and the friends at the table. And that is from Oswald in New York City. And Raquel de Cunha at Raquel CC Cunha on Instagram. My favourite memories of when I was a child in Portugal with a long table surrounded by my family, happily chatting around absolutely delicious food. It would be the perfect Christmas if the night would spontaneously include chorus singing with beautiful voices, shy voices and terrible unapologetic voices. For me, this meant happiness was soulful, real and present. At underscore Susie underscore Potter says, A festive dinner date with my husband in a lovely rustic pub. We go just before we break up from work for Christmas. This is a great reminder, I think, that there are many ways to combine food and celebration, not just in the days of Christmas itself. That's a lovely idea. Marking the threshold between work and the holidays with food is such a good thing to do. And then got a couple more. At The Grace Files on Instagram says, Every year my parents travel from New Zealand to Australia to spend Christmas with me and my boys. This is most likely the last year as travel has become increasingly hard since they're now in their mid-80s. So this year I'm embroidering special words on white linen napkins. These will become family heirlooms that we pass down the generations. A reminder of family which is truly the essence of Christmas. That is absolutely beautiful. Susan Pepping at Lely Project says, My favourite tradition is with my family having Christmas breakfast, putting candles on the table and having a beautiful, simple table. For me, preparing that breakfast for my children is the real Christmas feeling when it's dark and cold and quiet. Christian Berghoff at Stitch and Time says, I grew up in Germany and I'm living in Cornwall since 1998. My mother would bake the Stollen in the middle of November to be ready for Advent Sunday and bake an apple cake with lots of cinnamon and almonds for that day. As a young child, there was a lot of Christmas baking, all sorts of biscuits, homemade marzipan, rolled into small balls and covered in cocoa powder. So many lovely recollections there. Thank you. And just a couple more. I know there's a lot this um, this week, but it's so interesting how so many people's memories and things that they love about Christmas are related to food. This is Cindy Didich from the Canadian Prairies. 
My paternal great-grandparents immigrated from Ukraine, so part of our celebration was very much based in Ukrainian tradition. On Christmas Eve, we had a feast of 12 meatless dishes, which include kutia, wheat to start, and a variety of other favourites. Yum. Uh, We would then attend Christmas Eve Mass. Apparently, my baba, my grandmother, used to bring in wheat and put hay under the kitchen table for Christmas Eve, which represented the stable where Jesus was born. It was so interesting to read Cindy's list of the kind of food that was eaten, things like cabbage rolls and a mushroom gravy only eaten around the holidays, and fish. I know a lot of people eat fish at Christmas, but it's not something we've ever done in our house. It's not really... um, I would say it's not part of the um, British Christmas dinner, but that's actually not true at all. I know a lot of people have salmon. Um, It's just not in my house, um, but I love that idea. At Steph underscore Brain One on Instagram says, Being an American transplant to Britain, I married a Brit, I've always tried to uphold traditions from my homeland. Every Christmas morning we have eggnog and cinnamon buns for breakfast. Wow, lovely. So many delicious things. Louise Bleakley at My Fermanagh Life said, My mum always made trifle for Christmas Day dessert. She had to make two because it's hands down my favourite part of the meal. She passed away in December 2021, so I've taken on the Christmas Day lunch and this is always still a key part of the meal and I'm still the only one who sits with the bowl in the evening whilst everyone else has leftover meat. Such a lovely memory there, Louise, and I'm going to be sharing the recipe for my own mum's Christmas trifle, which was an important part of our Christmas dinner. So that's coming up later in the episode. Thank you so much for sharing that. So your writing prompt this week is to write a memory of Christmas food. Try using all your senses and really bring a scene to life. You might want to make something happen in it, or you might literally just want to describe a particular meal that was very special. Maybe make it funny if you like, or poignant, or joyful, whatever you feel like doing with that memory that you call in. Speaking of memories, today I thought I'd share my mum's recipe for trifle, as I just mentioned there, as Louise shared her own recollection of how important trifle is at this time of year. This was a staple in my house at Christmas growing up and something that my mum actually once carried on her lap on a long car journey to bring to our house one year. As I shared earlier in the podcast, my mum helped me plan this season and when we were talking about food, I asked her for the famous trifle recipe. She'd been keeping it a secret for a long time and actually very coyly said, it's not really a recipe, it's so easy When you were little, there was so much to do at Christmas. I wanted to make something that looked fancy, but actually took hardly any effort at all. And that was the Christmas trifle. Ah, maybe she's the original calm Christmas advocate. She was almost embarrassed to share this recipe with you. But anyway, here it goes. It's so simple, mostly made from store cupboard items. And yet it's very delicious. And I'm going to be making it this year for sure. So you need a box of sponge fingers, a jar of raspberry jam, some sherry for the trifle and some for you, a tin of custard, a tin of peaches, a pot of double cream and a tub of glacé cherries. And all you have to do is you get the sponge fingers and you cover them in raspberry jam to make a little sandwich between of jam between two fingers. And then you break them up and you put them in the bowl that you're going to serve your trifle in. And then you soak them in sherry. And then you pour over the tin of custard, arrange the peaches, whip up the double cream pop it on top and decorate with glacé cherries. 
And that is it. Wow. <laughs> that is super simple. I am very glad to have that on my menu this Christmas. And in the spirit of ease, like mother, like daughter, here is my so easy it's not really a recipe recipe for sausage rolls that are fail safe and absolutely delicious. It has pastry and apricots and it's actually not that dissimilar to something that was on Queen Victoria's Christmas menu back in 1855. She had volovants with apricots, apparently. Um, pastry and apricots, there we are. Uh, according to the wonderful At Christmas We Feast book by food historian Annie Gray. So if you're interested in the origins of Christmas food, that's a really wonderful book to explore. Anyway, here is the recipe for the world's easiest sausage rolls. Simple, but fit for a king or queen. So you need uh, one roll of ready roll puff pastry. I have no shame. Life is too short for making your own puff pastry. Um, I like the Just Roll brand, which comes with its own baking paper already rolled up. It makes it so easy, but I'm sure there are other brands too. Um, a roll of sausage meat from the butcher or a pack of eight fat sausages of your choice. If you get the sausages, then you need to cut the ends off and press the sausage meat out of the casings. And I've never made this with vegetarian sausages, but I'm really interested to know if it works if anyone fancies trying it. Uh, you also need a small onion which you need to dice up really small, um, a handful of dried apricots chopped, a jar of caramelized red onion marmalade or some other chutney type preserve of your choice. Um, apricot jam is actually a really good alternative for an even sweeter option. Uh, one beaten egg, some olive oil and some salt and pepper for seasoning. And here's how to make them. So you just preheat the oven to 200 degrees, which is 180 degrees fan or gas mark six, and then add a bit of olive oil to a pan and sweat off the onion until it's soft and take it off the heat and allow it to cool. And then in a large bowl, season the sausage meat, add in your diced onion and your chopped apricots and mix with a wooden spoon. Then unroll the puff pastry onto a baking sheet that you've lined with greaseproof paper. It's best not to use a rolling pin if you can, because that will stop the pastry puffing up. I cut the pastry sheet in half lengthwise to make small sausage rolls, but you could leave it as one piece to make a really big one. That's more like a beef wellington type look if you wanted. Um, you might need to adjust the cooking time for that. You can have a play around because I've only ever made small ones. That is an option. Um, and then spread a load of caramelised onion along one long edge of the pastry. So if you've cut it in half, you do that along both bottom edges. I'm not giving amounts here. I do about an inch wide strip of it, but just go with whatever you think. As well as adding flavour, it helps stick the sausage roll together. So don't be stingy with your marmalade. And then you want to shape the sausage meat into a long, thin kind of column um, and spread that down the middle of the pastry long ways above your line of red onion marmalade. You can do that, you know, just as well as you can straight onto the pastry or you can get all fancy and precise and use cling film um, and use that to roll it into a perfect shape and put that on the pastry. I don't do that, but, you know, maybe one day when I've got more time, I might do that. <laughs> Rough and ready is totally fine. They taste lovely. Okay, so then you uh, need to brush some beaten egg over the sausage meat and around the edges of the pastry. And then you take the top side of the pastry and pull it over the sausage meat and roll it towards you. And keep rolling until the end, which will be stuck on back on itself with the marmalade is positioned underneath the roll so then the weight of the sausage roll helps fix the join and then just brush beaten egg over the whole roll 
um, cut it with a sharp knife. I tend to make cuts every inch or so to make really small sausage rolls, which are perfect for snacks, but you could make bigger ones if you want to. Um, you can score the top or add pastry decorations, whatever you want to do. I just tend to bung it in the oven and put the kettle on, but that's me. Um, you want to bake it for about 30 to 35 minutes, but you can check the brand of pastry that you're using for guidance as well on that. Just keep an eye on it to see when it reaches the ideal brownness, depending on your taste. And remember, the sausage meat does need to be cooked. When it's done, just put them on a cooling rack um, and resist eating them for a good 10 minutes and then you can dive in. These are freezeable before they're cooked, but not once they're cooked. So if you cook them from frozen, um, you should add about 10 minutes to the cooking time in this recipe to take them from uncooked and frozen all the way through to properly done. Um, they should last a week in an airtight box in the fridge, but they rarely last more than a couple of days in our house. So to be honest, I'm not quite sure how long they last. Um, they make a lovely offering if you're visiting someone else's house over the holidays and they make your kitchen smell absolutely lovely. Now, if you're vegan or you have vegans coming for Christmas dinner and you fancy a new cookbook, you might like A Very Vegan Christmas by Sam Dixon, which I've just discovered has some really lovely recipes in it, like a pretty spinach and apricot wreath, which would be such a nice thing to take to someone's home if they're hosting you this year. There's also a really delicious recipe for winter slaw. And the spiced sherry-laced cranberry sauce is so simple. You just need a quarter of a pint of sherry, it's 150 ml, a pound of fresh or frozen cranberries, that's 500 grams, um, 75 grams or three ounces of caster sugar, three cloves, the rind of an orange, half a cinnamon stick, and about a quarter of a pint or 150 ml of water. And all you do is you pour the sherry into a saucepan over a medium heat until it's reduced by half, and then you just add all the other ingredients and cook over a low heat for 10 minutes until the cranberries have become a little jammy. And that is it. You can store it in sterilised jars in the fridge for up to five days um, or you can just eat it warm. I think it would be amazing on ice cream. That is Sam Dixon's recipe for vegan sherry-laced cranberry sauce. Now... I promised I would talk about sprouts. I have been looking into creative ways to prepare sprouts to make them more delicious and more tempting for little ones. And here are a few ideas that I found from celebrity chefs, which you might like to try. In Gizzy's Seasons Eatings, which is the name of Gizzy Erskine's, not just Christmas, but celebratory food book. It's really lovely. Um, she offers recipes for sprouts, smoked bacon and chestnuts for roast sprouts with balsamic glaze and roasted hazelnuts, and for creamed sprouts with nutmeg. They're all lovely ideas, aren't they? Nigel Slater, who always has a good idea, um, shares Brussels sprouts with smoked mozzarella and dill in his wonderful book, Green Feast Autumn Winter. Brussels sprouts with smoked mozzarella and dill. I almost can't imagine what that tastes like, except I really want to taste it. Yum. And of course, it wouldn't be Christmas without a Nigella Lawson recipe. Um, in Nigella Christmas, which is just a wonderful book to help you prepare for Christmas, you can find Christmas sprouts with chestnuts and nutmeg. Really simple, very traditional type of recipe. And then Jamie Oliver, in his brilliantly well thought out Jamie Oliver's Christmas cookbook, he offers four options. Squashed Brussels roasted with chorizo and chestnuts, Brussels in a hustle, he calls them, shredded with garlic and sage, yum. Um, mustard Brussels tops with 
butter and silver skin pickled onions, and braised Brussels with crispy bacon bits, bay and shallots. Now, all of those chefs generously share tons of their recipes on their websites or on their Instagram accounts, so do check them out. And also, at Deliciously Ella is brilliant for fully plant-based options. So go and have fun exploring all different ways to cook sprouts and all the other things this year. Now it is our nature corner. A surprising amount of things are in season in December. From artichokes, wild garlic and horseradish to winter squashes, beetroot and everything you need for a Christmas dinner, which in my house includes potatoes, carrots, parsnips, cauliflower for cauliflower cheese, onions for gravy and lots of lovely herbs like rosemary. And as I mentioned earlier, why not make a thing of seeking out somewhere local and independent to buy your vegetables this year? Maybe you can get as close as possible to whoever grew them. So a farm shop, a farmer's market, or maybe a local trading grocery store. Rosemary is actually known as a herb for remembrance. And apparently inhaling the scent of it can actually help improve your memory, reduce stress and also reduce anxiety. So I am putting that in my aromatizer this week as as an essential oil, as well as snipping a few sprigs for a lovely cozy roast dinner. And I've made a note to plant some on my allotment this year. And I think I'm going to tie a few sprigs together and hang them up in the kitchen too for that lovely rosemary scent. Your nature challenge this week is to take yourself somewhere near water. A river, a lake, the sea perhaps. And just spend some time listening and watching. Everything in the kitchen can get quite full on. So the antithesis of that, I think, is being near water. I wonder where you'll go this week. Also, this week sees the last new moon of 2023 on December the 12th. And the new moon is a time of new beginnings. It's a time to connect with what really matters to you in life. So let's use this new moon to focus on what really matters to us at Christmas. And also see it as a new beginning. We can make new traditions if we want to. We can do things differently if you want to. Why not run yourself a hot bath, perhaps putting some bath salts and herbs in it to help you relax and then scrub away any lingering negativity toward the holiday season, whatever that might be about. And when you step out, moisturise your skin and as you do so, welcome a new kind of Christmas season. One where your self-care, joy and comfort matters just as much as anyone else's. This week's craft project is to make labels. You can use these on homemade food gifts or any other presents or to tie around napkins at Christmas dinner. And it's not really a step-by-step project. It's There are so many different ways that we can make lovely labels and tags. Perhaps the loveliest ones that I've made in recent years were simply brown craft tags, which you can get from the post office or any craft store like Hobbycraft. And then I just stamped them with Christmas stamps in silver ink. So we had silver snowflakes, we had a little cottage with snow falling over it, a Christmas wreath, a deer, things like that. It's such a lovely project to do. I actually took my children to a cafe um, with all of our stamping stuff and we made some lovely labels together. It's also a good time to make crackers for the table if you want to do that yourself. They're so easy and you can make them as posh as you like depending on how you decorate them and what you put in them. You know, shop-bought crackers are so expensive these days. 
So this is one thing that we always do ourselves in my house, not least because my children just love it. It's definitely worth having a few more cracker snaps than you need because a couple of them always seem to get tested out along the way. There is a link to a great tutorial from House Beautiful for making your own Christmas crackers in the show notes if you want some guidance on doing that. And now it's time for our festive giveaway. This week, I'm giving away a copy of Rachel de Tample's beautiful new book, Winter Wellness. You can find Rachel on Instagram at de Tample, D-E-T-H-A-M-P-L-E, along with a personalised signed copy of my book, Calm Christmas and a Happy New Year. Rachel's book is really a very special contribution to the world of cookbooks and also to the world of books on health and well-being. I highly recommend it. At the beginning of the book, she lists out lots of common ailments and advises which ingredients can help and also points you to recipes in the book which would be good to try. So, for example, under coughs and sore throat, she says, helpful ingredients include elderberry, honey, lemon, rosemary and thyme. And then she offers recipes for a parsnip toddy and apple scraps chai. Mmm, delicious. And then for immune system health, for example, she recommends all citrus, bone broth, camu camu, Carrots, leafy greens, oysters, pumpkin seeds, squash and sweet potatoes. And she offers recipes of roast squash with kimchi butter and the Count's first Negroni. Mm-mm, wonderful. So to enter, just go to my Instagram account at Beth Kempton. If you're listening to this out of sync with the release dates and the giveaway has closed already, please don't worry. I'm doing giveaways every week until Christmas, so there will still be something lovely waiting for you. Do go and check it out at Beth Kempton. Also, don't forget to book your free place on my Winter Writing Sanctuary, which is going to run from late December to early January. It's a proper, short and beautiful writing course. It's not some kind of free webinar to then get you to buy something. It is a proper course that I put together with love and care. I've done it for several years now in the middle of winter. And I've made it free because of the ongoing cost of living crisis and simply because I know what an absolute tonic as well as a joy that writing can be in the darkest season. So you can register for free at dowhatyoulovefourlife.com. Please do bring your friends. The more, the cosier. And if you want to dive deeper on your writing this year, be sure to go back and listen to episode five of this season of the podcast, which was all about wintry words, both reading and writing. You might also want to take advantage of my winter sale, which is offering up to 50% off all of my online classes, including writing classes and my book proposal masterclass, which is live, um, and also my virtual writing retreat. I do this sale just once a year, and, and I do it as a thank you to this wonderful community. You make it possible for me to do what I love, and I hope that by making all the courses up to 50% off, it means that I can support more of you to do what you love. The sale will end soon, so go on over to dowhatyoulovefourlife.com to book a course while everything is up to 50% off. You might find something for your Christmas list or perhaps an amazing gift for someone else. And if you don't know which course is the best fit for you right now, please do feel free to DM me on Instagram at Beth Kempton and tell me a bit about yourself and where you are right now and I will point you in the right direction. Right, enough about that. It is time for our get ahead tips. 
So this week is a good time to finish Christmas shopping and making. And I know that, as I just said that, some of you are going, what? What are you talking about? I haven't even thought about Christmas shopping yet. <laughs> so if that feels unrealistic, well, it's a nice aim for the week. Um, maybe just try to get something done so it isn't all a big stress on Christmas Eve. So what Christmas shopping or Christmas present making might you be able to fit in this week? Um, it's also a good time to make a list of Christmas movies that you want to watch and also to write and send Christmas cards. They always take longer than you think if you want to take time to write a personal message. And of course, those Christmas last posting dates come around sooner than we notice. Speaking of which, the last posting date by international standard from the UK to Canada, USA, Czech Republic, Finland, Italy, Norway, Poland, Portugal, Spain and Sweden is Monday the 11th of December, so very, very soon. And then um, to Austria, Belgium, Denmark, France, Germany, Ireland, Luxembourg, Netherlands, Slovakia and Switzerland, that is Wednesday the 13th of December. Of course, those are all from the UK. Um, best to check with your own mail service wherever you are in the world for the right dates for you. Monday, December the 11th is also International Mountain Day. What a good day to do something connected to mountains, maybe to go to the mountains if you have mountains nearby, or to watch a movie about mountains, or to dream of mountains, write a memory of mountains. Why not do something about mountains? Or just think of the mountain as a metaphor in your own life and see what comes. Next week, episode seven is called In the Bleak Midwinter, and it's all about pausing, remembering and honouring. It's one for any of you who have lost someone or missed someone at this time of year. It's also an honouring of all the things that we have been grieving for any reason at all. I hope it will be a comfort and that it will help all of us find light in the darkness this year. So please bring your notebook and a candle and we'll meet by the fireside for episode seven in the bleak midwinter, this time next week. You have been listening to the Calm Christmas podcast with me, Beth Kempton, produced by Untapped Talent. Don't forget to subscribe and please tell your friends. And of course, leave us a rating if you enjoy the show. You might also love my book, Calm Christmas and a Happy New Year, a little book of festive joy, which is filled with tips for a calm and joyful winter and of course Christmas and that is out now from all good booksellers. For a peek into my perfectly imperfect Christmas preparations come and find me on Instagram at Beth Kempton or on Substack at Beth Kempton where I also write about midlife, fearless writing and my favourite ways to travel in Japan. Stay warm and cosy my friend and I will see you next week.